Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought me You brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Well, uh, good evening. My name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks, Danielle, uh, for reading for us. Uh, Keep your Bibles open. We're going to need them later. And uh, I think if you take your finger out of Jonah, you tend to lose it because it's little. Um, And so uh, hang on there. Uh, We need to pray as we start. So uh, let's do that together. Our gracious Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us. And Father, that you are a God who's kind enough to help us to know you, uh, though we don't deserve it. And we pray that as you speak to us now and give us words of life, that we'd hear them and we'd respond with trust and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, we are working our way through a three-week series on Jonah at the moment. And uh, you might remember that last week we left things on a bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, God had sent Jonah on a mission to deliver a message to uh, Nineveh, to cruel Nineveh, And instead, Jonah jumped on a boat to Tarshish and headed in the opposite direction. And uh, he found himself on board with some pagan sailors in the middle of a wild storm. And uh, you remember we talked about the two different ways that those groups of people responded. Uh, Jonah, on the one hand, was calm. He didn't really pray. He didn't really say sorry or ask for mercy. And by his own request was thrown overboard. The sailors uh, did fear God and they cried out for mercy and they received it. And so uh, our hero was left at the end of last week uh, going overboard. Now, uh, just thinking about wild seas for a second, uh, last week uh, I told a story about going out in some wild seas in Maroubra, and Bernie reminded me the week during the week I didn't actually finish the story uh, or share how I got in from the wild seas. And so just as a way of setting the scene for where Jonah's at, uh, I thought I'd finish that story. Uh, so... Story told last week, I paddled out with some friends to some very big waves in Maroubra, and I was sitting out in the back for a while, and decided eventually that I needed to paddle back in, that I couldn't sit out there forever. And so I eventually got into the right spot and uh, paddled for a wave, only to look down the face of one of these monstrous waves and realise it's much too big for me. Uh, And so I I panicked and pulled off. Uh, At that point, though, the wave had pushed me forward just a little bit, and... um, I was in the path of the next set coming through and looked up and saw this monstrous wave about to land on my head and I thought maybe I can 
go under it on my board duck dive it. Uh, and I tried that, realised it was going to land on top of me. So I ditched the board and just swam down really deep. And um, the wave landed on top of me and snapped my board in half and then tumbled, turned me around and around and around like I was in a washing machine. And uh, I remember just not really knowing which way was up, which way was down, just holding my breath, hoping that eventually I'd pop up like a cork up to the top. And I did, and got another breath in before the next wave did the same thing. Uh, and at this point I was in a bit of trouble, heading towards the bigger end of the beach uh, with only half a surfboard. I figured though, if I can just hang on to this board and if my leg rope doesn't snap, uh, eventually I guess the waves will just take me in. And uh, that's what happened in the end. I kind of boogie boarded down a wave with half a board um, and then got rolled around a few more times, spent most of the way in underwater and eventually washed up on shore. And uh, at that point, one of my friends popped up, having just caught a wave in the traditional method. And uh, he said, how good was that? <laughs> and uh, you think about those waves and uh, imagine Jonah, right? Uh, he's far from a beach. He's got no surfboard, not in half. And uh, the reality is that Jonah was drowning at the end of chapter one. He was going to die. That's where we left off. And at this point, when Jonah is absolutely helpless, we pick up in 117. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Imagine Jonah's surprise at this point, right? Like Jonah's been running away from God. Uh, we saw last week Jonah expected to die. He'd not turned from death. He was underwater drowning and he finds himself inside a giant fish of all things. And just as God saved the pagan sailors last week, saw that we saw God at work saving people again here. And God here chooses to spare Jonah from his own anger. And notice here that God, God's the hero of the story, not Jonah. God provides the fish, the right-sized fish at the right time to gobble up this prophet rather than its regular diet, whatever that was. And I think all of this is supposed to show us that God is in control here and God, in his kingly grace, is at work to rescue Jonah. We're not really told why God did this. We're not told at this point much about what Jonah was doing. We're not told what God has in store for Jonah. But we do see God's immense power, his compassion to Jonah, his kindness, that though Jonah was dying, God gave him life. We'll turn to that, that death-life theme a little bit later on. Now, at this point in the story, I guess the, uh, the big question is, well, uh, how is Jonah going to respond? He's been given a second chance. He's been rescued from certain death in miraculous circumstances. Uh, what will Jonah do? And in fact, I'm actually interested to hear your thoughts on this question. And so uh, we'll do something a little bit different today. I want you, with the person next to you, just take 30 seconds. Uh, what do you think Jonah is going to do? What do you expect him as the reader to do at this point in the story, having been rescued in this uh, marvellous way? 30 seconds with the person next to you. All right. Well, it's, uh, it's not a particularly difficult question, so um, let's, uh, let's keep moving along. Um, my guess is that um, 
he probably said something like, what we expect him to do is to thank God and uh, to turn his life around and to start living God's way. Uh, that's kind of what you do when you receive something good. Is that roughly what you came up with? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a group at 9 o'clock this morning and uh, they shook their heads and I didn't know quite what to do with that. <laughs> um, I think uh, when someone gives you good, the, the normal thing to do is to say thanks. And so if, if Jonah was a normal bloke, uh, what we'd expect is he'd, he'd do that at this point. And in some ways, I think in, in chapter 3 and 4, that's what we see, or chapter 2 to 4. Uh, Jonah prays this prayer uh, of gratitude. He's vomited out of the fish, and he goes to Nineveh um, doing the job that he was originally supposed to do. But here's my next question for you. Uh, did Jonah actually repent? Uh, did Jonah actually repent? And this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. And uh, my guess is that many of us would probably instinctively answer, yes, uh, Jonah did repent. And if you thought that, you actually you're in pretty good company. Uh, John Calvin, for instance, uh, thought that the prayer that we're about to look at from inside the fish was a model prayer of repentance. And so uh, if, you, if you think, yeah, it looks pretty good, uh, don't worry. But I do want to persuade you this evening that I think Jonah didn't repent. I want you to uh, strongly consider that possibility. That though Jonah's prayer looks in many ways very close to a prayer of repentance, it's actually a little bit fishy. Now, um. As we ask uh, whether Jonah's prayer was repentant or good, uh, I guess there's two dangers that I want to observe for us that we need to be aware of before we continue. Uh, the first danger when you're evaluating someone else's prayer is the danger of being proud and judgmental. Uh, it's no good for us to look at Jonah and say, you know, that guy was really arrogant. What a, a self-assured loser. Ha! Um, that's not the point of the book. The point of the book is that we'd look at Jonah and we're expecting to trust him. We don't get that. And so it challenges uh, our view of ourselves. We talked about that last week. So as we think about whether Jonah's prayer is a repentant prayer, actually we're also supposed to look at our own prayers and think about whether they are good as well. The second danger of um, evaluating Jonah's prayer here is that uh, to do that, we're actually reading the Bible in a fairly critical way. It's a way that doesn't uh, take what's said at face value. And I want to suggest that that's not the normal way in which we approach the Bible, and that the only reason that we can come uh, with a, a slightly sceptical view of Jonah is because Jonah, uh, as a book, has invited us to do so. Uh, Scripture is kind of raising the possibility for us that Jonah's prayer might be a bit dodgy. So chapter 1, uh, last week, there were some red flags about Jonah's character. As we go into chapter 4, we'll see more red flags about Jonah's character even more seriously. And so, uh, unlike, say, the Psalms in the Old Testament or the Lord's Prayer, the prayer Jesus taught his disciples, or Paul's prayers, uh, unlike those, I think we're set up here by Scripture to be suspicious of Jonah. And in that sense, I think Jonah's prayer here is a little bit like uh, in the New Testament, we get that prayer of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and we looked at that some time ago in Luke together. Now, in that scenario, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, uh, who's the good prayer and who's the bad prayer? Well, the good prayer, you know, is the tax collector, and the bad prayer is the Pharisee. 
How do you know that and how do you know uh, which one's which? It's because the surrounding story sets it up in such a way that one prayer is framed as good uh, and the other prayer is framed as not good. Uh, it's, it's the story that tells you which one is which. And I think there's a similar thing going on in Jonah here, that the surrounding story teaches us how to think about the prayer. And it's interesting, right, some of the older writers on this section, uh, so guys like John Calvin, they were really cautious to read Jonah in a negative or a dark kind of light. Uh, and I think as, as people who've grown up in a time of postmodern reading and uh, in a suspicious, uh, a kind of hermeneutic of suspicion is what the English uh, people would say, um, that we're pretty used to reading people with suspicion. But some of these older guys were careful to do that, and I think it's because they were, they were generous Bible readers. Uh, they expected that God would teach them through his word and that prophets generally provided a model of life and faith. And so what I'm inviting us to do is to think carefully about Jonah's prayer, but not to be sceptical about all biblical prayers or to pit one part of the Bible against another. So there's the warnings uh, before we get into it. Hear that carefully. And uh, let's have a look at the prayer. Now, uh, we're going to have a look at each section of this prayer, just break it up into a few parts. And what we'll do is just to summarise what each bit is saying. Uh, we'll consider whether there's any signs of repentance in what Jonah prays. Uh, and then we'll draw out some application uh, for our own prayer life at each stage. And so we're at uh, verse 2, I called and you answered. So Jonah begins his prayer. He's inside the fish at this point and reflecting on what happened. And it'd be great to have that open at this point. Uh, verse 2, Jonah said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Uh, this first line is uh, summarizing really the rest of what Jonah is going to pray. It's quite straightforward. Jonah was in distress, even to the point of death. He called for help, and God listened. Now, does this uh, part of the prayer demonstrate a repentant or an unrepentant Jonah? I think on first impression, uh, Jonah's prayer looks to be on the money. Right? Isn't this what happened to the, the sailors last week, that they prayed, they cried for mercy, and God answered? Isn't this what happens when we pray, that we call for help, and God responds? Well, yes, but it's not the whole picture of what happens in prayer. I want you to notice how Jonah expands on his prayer in the following verses. So verse 7, for instance, if you keep that open, Jonah says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. I just want you to notice the, um, the, the kind of... Uh, what am I saying? The... the, the uh, the way that Jonah portrays prayer happening here. Uh, Jonah sees that his prayer from death, uh, he remembered God and he prayed and his prayer ascended into the presence of God. And I think it almost sounds like Jonah would say that his prayer was the key to his rescue, that he was far from God and almost dead and his hopeful prayer transcended and traversed death and the seas and reached up to God. And Jonah acknowledges that God responded to that by rescuing him. He says, you, Lord, brought my life up from the pit. You answered. Uh, but what I'm suggesting is that Jonah sees his rescue as starting with himself, that the initiative for the rescue lies with his prayer. 
If that's what Jonah is saying, well, it actually sounds a bit out of step with the rest of the story, doesn't it? And it sounds a bit me-centred. Now, at this point, uh, you might not be persuaded that there's anything wrong with uh, Jonah's prayer. And so just to to deepen this point, I want to contrast Jonah's prayer with a prayer uh, from the Psalms, some of the Old Testament songs of God's people. And uh, at this point, I get you to grab your Bible again. And we're going to open up together to Psalm 116. Uh, So if you go right to the middle of your Bible, it's Psalms. And uh, you can obviously count to 116, but it's on page 875. Psalm 116, page 875. Remember to keep a finger in Jonah as well. Psalm 116, I'm just going to read the first uh, few verses. It says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous, our God is full of compassion. Uh, now we're going to have a time in Bible study uh, this week to look at a couple more psalms uh, and to finish that one. But um, I just want you to notice that right away there's quite a few similarities between that psalm and Jonah 2. Do you notice them right? Here's, there's this language of, um, of death and of the grave and of distress and someone who calls out to the Lord. They're both, they're both psalms of thanksgiving. But there's also some small but significant differences. And the big one is that I think Psalm 116 gives God, without any doubt, the big credit for the rescue from start to finish. And we see this in just subtle differences in wording. The psalmist focuses on the loveliness of God rather than the effects of his own prayer. And he begins his his recount of his cry for help, uh, not by starting with, I cried and you heard. He actually goes the opposite way. Um, You heard when I cried. God's described as turning his ear towards the cry, uh, that God's actually looking to hear and to respond to Jonah's prayer. God's an active prayer listener. And the psalmist wants uh, the reader to know, not about himself, but that, that God is a God who's righteous and compassionate, and gracious. And I think that's kind of striking because uh, if you think about the book of Jonah, uh, what we've learned so far from the sailors, uh, from Jonah's own story, is that God is compassionate, righteous, uh, and gracious. And yet, at this point in Jonah's prayer, those things don't actually get a mention. Uh, we'd expect them to be there, but they're not. What I'm saying is, all in all, I think Psalm 116 is, is actually the song that Jonah. Uh, or the prayer that Jonah needed to pray in response to his situation. Jonah did ask God for help, that's right. But more to the point is that Jonah was rebellious, stubborn and helpless and God sent a fish. And Psalm 116 captures that dynamic that expresses that the cry for help was there but more abundantly the gracious provision of God Uh, He chose to rescue Jonah using that plea to accomplish the plans that he'd intended. Remember, we're uh, we're looking at Jonah's prayer to think about our own prayers and to critique our own prayers. And so what does Jonah 2 teach us about praying? 
I think that Jonah's attitude challenges us to make more of God's willingness to answer our prayers than actually of our own prayers themselves. Uh, Jonah 2 reminds us it's not how often, how long, how short, how loud, how emotionally, how stoically uh, we pray that make our prayers work. Uh, It's not who we are as we pray that makes our prayers work, whether we're a religious person or a member of this church or a leader or a pastor. Those aren't the things that make our prayers effective. Uh, Our prayers work, friends, because God invites us to come to him in prayer and to approach him as a father. Uh, Our prayers don't depend on our will, us willing them to be effective, but actually on his willingness to hear us. And he wants us to pray. He wants to do us good. And we know this. Um, For those of you who are in Bible studies this week, we saw this this week in Romans 8. Uh, God has given us his own son on the cross. And so we know that we can come to him as Father. Our prayer life depends on what God's like. He's a compassionate God, a merciful Father. And that means that we can pray and we can be bold to pray. Uh, as, a, as a dad uh, with young kids and a busy life, um, my prayers are often at the breakfast table or uh, on the bike or in the car beside a child's bed. Um, prayers happens across the day in, in lots of little ways. Um, it's a busy time of life. I know that many of you guys feel busy as well. In that situation, uh, I think actually to know that God willingness to pray, uh, God's willingness to hear my prayers matters more than how I pray uh, is a real encouragement. It encourages me to keep persevering in prayer uh, even though life is busy and slightly chaotic. Um, because God is always ready to hear our prayers, we can pray. Uh, I know that you guys, uh, there's not that many dads in the room, uh, but I just want to encourage you to reflect on, uh, in the busyness of your life, how does that encourage you guys to pray? Well, uh, let's come into the next section. We're at verse 3 to 7. Uh, in this next bit, Jonah uh, reflects more closely on the experience of drowning, and we get this, uh, this image of him descending into the depths, even there's seaweed wrapped around his head. He felt close to death. He felt cut off from the surface, from the world, to the point that he was below the world. Um, he was a long way gone. His life was ebbing away. What I I really want to pick up in this uh, section, though, is two phrases from verse 3 and 4. So verse 3, Jonah says, uh, you hurled me into the depths. And verse 4, he says, I've been banished from your sight. And again, I just want to ask here, are we seeing a repentant Jonah? Let's think about uh, the language of hurling. Who hurled Jonah into the sea? Well, Technically, it was the sailors, wasn't it? It wasn't God. It was the sailors in response to this storm brought about by God. But it was actually Jonah who asked to be thrown overboard. It was Jonah's decision to disobey God that ultimately caused the storm. And so saying, God, you hurled me into the depths. It's a little strange. It's a bit like, imagine a criminal saying to their magistrate or to the jailer, you hurled me into prison. It's technically true. Uh, but it doesn't quite capture the responsibility in the situation. Sure, they had a role in the judicial process, but the responsibility lies with the criminal, and it's the same with Jonah. Uh, And the important thing to notice here is that Jonah takes none of the blame for himself. If you look through the prayer, you won't find Jonah 
saying sorry at any point. He doesn't say, I disobeyed you, God. He doesn't acknowledge that the punishment was just or something that he brought upon himself. And there's this strange mix that Jonah is genuinely thankful that he's been rescued from death. He knows that God has done that. And perhaps that's the thing that's changed in his life, that he has a new appreciation of uh, what God has done for him. And yet at the same time, he doesn't reflect or acknowledge why he was dying in the first place. And again, uh, just to contrast this with the Psalms, uh, some of you will know that uh, King David in the Old Testament, he, uh, he wrote a prayer when he had committed adultery with this woman Bathsheba. And he begins that psalm, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And he goes on to describe the horror of his sin. Uh, that's a model confession. I think the absence of confession in Jonah's prayer, that's, that's really the most ob obvious indication that not much has changed for Jonah. Uh, even though shortly he will resume his prophetic mission, it's unclear whether, uh, or it's even unlikely, that the basic issues that stopped him in the first place have been resolved. Now, what does that uh, mean for us? Well, I think it's quite challenging. I think it teaches us about the kind of attitude that we need to bring to prayer. I think the scary thing about these, uh, these verses in Jonah is that they show that it's possible to pray a prayer which says, sorry, not sorry. A prayer that it looks repentant, a prayer that looks thankful, a prayer that uh, maybe is publicly impressive, a prayer that misses the mark ultimately before God because it's not a prayer that does the basics of Christian prayer of saying, sorry God, I need your forgiveness, please forgive me. Uh, we come to God not as uh, people who just need to ask for things, uh, we come to him as runaway rebels who fundamentally need to actually acknowledge our place, that we need to say sorry and ask for forgiveness. Uh, we're actually going to get to do that in just a moment uh, as we um, have the Lord's Supper together. But uh, as I've reflected on my own prayers privately in the, the last few weeks, I think uh, this is something that I uh, actually need to change in my life. I find that I pray about all sorts of things, the day coming, the day gone, work to do, people to meet, uh, people to love and serve, opportunities to share the gospel, good things, great things to be praying. Uh, but I think uh, actually confessing my sin is something that is uh, it's not a regular feature of the way that I pray in private. And I want to change that. I want to actually be someone who confesses my sin. It's something that I've done a bit more in the past. At the moment, it's not happening as much. And perhaps you're in the same boat. Uh, we're sinners. We need to come to God and ask for his forgiveness and be confident that we have it in Jesus. Let's come to this final section, verse 8 to 9. Uh, Jonah says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I've vowed, I'll make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. There's a sense of a triumph here, of, of climax. And Jonah finishes with this contrast between himself and those who worship idols. And the contrast is that Jonah says, I will keep my promises to you, God. I will make grateful sacrificial offerings. Uh, I will be faithful, in other words. But those idolaters are faithless. 
I think the strange thing about this is that uh, if you think back to chapter 1 and the idolaters, uh, what were the idolaters doing in chapter 1? Well, first of all, they were praying to their gods, but uh, eventually, actually, they, re they were the ones who first received God's mercy uh, and they responded uh, with faithfulness and trust. So they were the charge. And so it's a little bit strange for Jonah to say that, uh, that idolaters forsake the steadfast love of God. And I think that's a hint that Jonah probably thinks a bit too highly of his own abilities to be faithful going forward. Uh, what we're going to see in the next few weeks is that Jonah's faithfulness, it's not all smooth sailing from here on in. But Jonah's prayer doesn't really uh, give a hint at that. Uh, from Jonah's prayer, you would think that he would be faithful, unlike those faithless idolaters. So again, what does that teach us? Well, uh, I think this section reminds us that... Uh, us continuing as God's people, uh, faithfulness, uh, that's something that actually needs God's help. It's something that we can't presume. Uh, it's something that we need God to do in us. And so just by way of contrast to Jonah's prayer, uh, let me read you some words from Jude, uh, who's a Christian praying in the New Testament. Uh, and uh, I'll just read this one for you. Jude 24 to 25, he prays, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Notice it's to him, uh, to God, not to me or to you who can keep yourself from uh, stumbling. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Saviour before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. And uh, that's a lovely prayer and one that you might like to uh, have a, another look at and to pray for yourself. Uh, because we, we can't keep ourselves from stumbling uh, in the Christian life. We can't present ourselves before the glorious presence of God. But he can. He is able to keep us. And so as we go on, uh, we actually need to pray for his help. Well, uh, the best line of Jonah's prayer uh, is actually the very last one. Uh, Salvation comes from the Lord. I think however Jonah meant this line, this line sums up the best of Jonah's prayer and the best of his situation. It's the truest line in his prayer. Because though Jonah's been unrepentant, he's claimed the initiative for his own rescue, he's failed to say sorry, he's overconfident in his future. At this point, he's right on. Salvation from first to last comes from the Lord. And ironically, that's really the main thing that Jonah needed to pray. Um, sadly, it, it doesn't seem to have permeated the rest of his prayer life. Uh, John Calvin once said, uh, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Now, I realize that's kind of old-fashioned words. Prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Uh, but what he's saying is that when we pray, we demonstrate, we exercise what we believe to be true about God. And Jonah's prayer exercised his faith, uh, his faith in himself, in the quality of his own faithfulness, in God's willingness to respond on his terms. His prayer exercised uh, some of the unrepentance and failings of his heart. I want to wrap up by just asking, what do our prayers demonstrate? If you think about your own prayer life, uh, what do your prayers exercise? What kind of faith do they uh, demonstrate? If someone uh, who uh, doesn't know anything about God was to listen to you pray for several weeks, uh, what sort of God would they conclude uh, you are praying to? 
what they see are the sovereign father of mercy who gave his son for us to conquer death. Would they see a, a God who gives mildly good luck in exams, work projects and other small life crises? If it happens that in, in asking that question you, you find like Jonah, you're not just in need of a better way of praying but a heart that loves and knows God. Well, I, I think this passage has one more piece of good news to offer. And that's the fact that despite Jonah's failures as a prayer, uh, even when Jonah was wrestling, uh, or not really wrestling at all, failing as a prayer, that God brought him from death to life. Uh, God was more willing to be gracious than Jonah's prayers actually demonstrated. And God offers us that same grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so just to, to finish, I want to read one more verse for you. Uh, come in with, with me this time to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 2, that's in the New Testament, page 1,665. 1,665. Ephesians 2, and we're going to go from verse 4. Uh, this is one of Paul's letters uh, to the church in Ephesus. And he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It was by grace you've been saved. And just think about that language of death to life. I want you to uh, just think about Jonah for a sec in the belly of the fish, um, having been previously drowning. Uh, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. Uh, I think Jonah's story offers a lovely picture of the Christian gospel. That people who are drowning in the deep seas of spiritual death are actually able to be made alive again. That even when we're at that moment when we can't swim up to the surface and we don't know which way is up or down and we're spiritually without any hope, that God is able to make us alive. Not through a fish, but actually by belonging to, um, by being attached to his son, Jesus. And Jesus, uh, remember, Jesus went down into death and he rose up from the grave. And so if we're tied to him by faith, we can actually have the same thing. And so if you're someone who needs rescue, uh, like me, not just from prayerlessness, but from a heart that runs away from God, I want to encourage you um, just to take heart from the story of Jonah. God's actually willing and able to rescue us from death and from our rebelliousness and to give us new life with Jesus. And we're going to pray uh, uh, to him to thank him for that. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful picture uh, in the story of Jonah that when Jonah was at his most helpless, uh, that you sent what he most needed. And Father, we thank you that you've done the same thing for us in Jesus Christ, that when we were dead in our sins, you made us alive with him. Father, we pray that you would uh, forgive us our sins because we are sinners, we are runaway rebels. We pray that you would help us to live for Jesus, and particularly today that we would be prayers, uh, prayers who come to you as Father, and prayers... Um, who acknowledge what we are like before you, who don't hide our sin, but um, bring it to the light and ask Jesus for rescue. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.